coming up on this episode of Belief Hole. This concept that the shadowy hand behind the military and the government has been building an infrastructure of advanced technology that perhaps we're seeing in the skies today. We might call it UFOs, we might call it aliens. We don't know what it is, but there is something going on. There's something up there. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest there is a parallel technological movement that has its own separate agenda and reality of technology, advanced craft that can stop on a dime and spin the sky that could be a breakaway civilization. So he's working alongside these kids who are more telekinetically prone, so they could move things with their mind. Their missions are much more devious because they're taught to become telekinetic wizard assassins, mm. where they can remote view to find their targets and then kill them with their mind. Ugh, like evil Harry Potters. Sure. Tele- telepathic ability. That sounds right. If there is some sort of clandestine operation that just plucks people off our planet for weird purposes around the galaxy, I wonder what kind of jobs you could get space janitor but like if you're like an enslaved jester in some like alien court <laughs> that'd be kind of maybe fun. could run a podcast on like an alien planet <laughs> they're really interested in like bigfoot <laughs> like we know aliens are real but <laughs> <laughs> there are people that you watch long enough and you can get this twinkle of authenticity and that's kind of what it has to come down to because the end of the day we're listening to officials we're listening to whistleblowers you can corroborate it with what's going on and make parallels and connections but there's some level of who do you trust who do you trust See, I would join Space Force if we got to do stuff like that. Would get blown up in a spaceship? Might be worth it if you get to go through a Stargate first and you're battling draconian lizardmen. Chris. That would might be worth it. You get scared when your fan turns off. <laughs> Why would I get scared? Oh. It's so quiet. It does get quiet. <laughs> I feel like Space Force is fine. As long as I'm not alone in the aircraft, you know? <laughs> I got an intercom that I can talk to my compatriots out there in space. You guys are out there, right? Hello? Where'd everyone go? <laughs> no, I'm frightened. Okay. Anyway. I'm a courageous man. Synchronicity, Sasquatch, Homunculus, Alien Races, Satanism in Hollywood, MK Ultra, Tartaria. There's like a whole, I've been watching this one guy. Like, close the door, it. Jury, close your door. What's the uh, inner earth disagreements? Ghost Dad. <laughs> I like that movie. Dogman, Bohemian Grove, Corey Feldman, Magicians are Demons, Spectres, Spirits, Sleep Paralysis, Strange Disappearances, Sky Whale Phenomena, yes. Alternative History, Shadow People. Shh, quiet, I'm trying to say words with the mouth. It's getting dicey out there. Poltergeists. That's cool. Anunnaki. What is the moon? <laughs> Elf Towers. I would never talk about it. That's old. Y2K. Cover ups. Apocalyptic catastrophe. Vampire. Welcome. Should Hello. we maybe change that that intro at some point? Maybe next season. Oh, you mean the intro montage? Yeah. That's so hard to do in my I mind. Know. I'm emotionally attached to a lot what of it. What if it's even better next time? That was like one of the first things we've ever done. Imagine how much better it would be now. That's, tr- that's possible. But I know, I'm sure people like it used Conspiracy. to that. Get attached. Imagine if they changed like the Cheers theme song. Where I don't everybody think it's quite the caliber. goes to hang out. Dun, dun, dun. No, it'd be a completely new one. That'd be oh. worse. You build up a brand and then you destroy it. <laughs> <laughs> no shred of our... Anyways, we should say hello. Yes. Hello, listeners. Well, hello, hello. You caught us in the middle of a little housekeeping or 
backs backside discussions backside discussions okay jeremy and i don't like housekeeping because i like he said back backside discussions like we were gonna agree with you <laughs> like this is what they're called i'm just trying to use my words you guys looked at me strangely so guys we got a good one today i'm excited about this i'm excited for but this you're, one. you are excited about this one this is uh one of the first things that got you into the realm of conspiracy and dark projects stuff that you've been interested in for like, probably close to yeah, a decade take us back john when you first were interested in the subject first started in 1945. <laughs> that was a glimmer in my I father's in, eye. No, I was in in Lakeway, Texas with my good friend Brian. We were living out in the country, sort of. We got this like amazing deal on this big, almost like country clubbish type of home. Wasn't it like his dad's? He let you guys stay there for his like, dad's a good deal? friend. Oh, okay. And That's uh, nice. You guys had a swimming pool shaped like a tennis racket. I remember that. Yeah. What? But anyways, the... We started getting involved in like the, something called Project Camelot. Oh, yes. yes. And that opened my mind to a lot of this sort of fantastical, interdimensional warring. and Yeah, it was basically like a YouTube channel that would bring on whistleblowers to talk about black projects. Yeah. And th- really interesting interviews. Uh, and this was interviews. like YouTube's infancy. Yeah. Right. Which can, it's hard to believe it's been 10 years, but it was like a completely, I mean, um, think about how much changed in 10 years. Yeah. It's really crazy how fast technology has gone and where we are now with like the, you know, sort of the censorship stuff. And back then it was just like the wild west. Wild west. I remember that they were getting on YouTube, but I remember we found their website was before like mm-hmm. YouTube was a thing. And we were like, a yeah, I, known it was thing. even before YouTube. I remember going through their white website with the purple links, you know, like mm-hmm. everything, everything like new age themed. Yeah. And I have that memory so clear with they had so much information from whistleblowers and people coming out, you know, some, some maybe not. Uh, legitimate, but some definitely had their, you know, their bona fides. Yeah, and there was definitely a focus on like breakaway civilization, I remember. Yeah. Secret space Classified technology. Yeah. Which is what our topic is today. Was it Bob Lear? Bob uh, Greer. Or no, no, I'm sorry. Bob Greer. (laughs) Steve (laughs) Bob Lear. Uh, It was uh, uh, Richard Gear. Richard Gear. Richard Lear? Bob Lazar? No. Man, Richard Dean. Bob Dean. Bob Dean. Bob, well, that took us a long time. Bob Dean. There's a Richard Lear, too. Is there? There's a few John of them Lear. that they would have on a lot. They were like ex-military, ex-special you know, special yeah. forces. Yeah, they and, had the clearance levels, like uh, above top secret and uh, cosmic clearance and all this different clearances in the government where they or the military, where they were exposed to a lot of material that just people don't see. And then when you do see it and kind of mixed in popular media and sci-fi, uh, it comes out as fiction. Yeah, their show was kind of an expose on a lot of these whistleblowers before it was before the disclosure project, right? Was it pre 2001? I thought it was still relatively new when we were getting involved with it. And that was back in like 2008. It's hard to say, honestly. So I thought the disclosure project was like the day before nine 11. Yeah. The disclosure project was way before that, wasn't it? I think so. Oh, one. It was, they had a lot of people on there from the disclosure project. I think disclosure project was done by Stephen Greer, which is someone else we might get into at some point. Another like high profile name. A lot of our listeners probably are familiar with Greer's work and summoning UFOs into the desert. And I met him in person. I think I heard, I think I told that once on the show. Were you walking Jake or something? Yeah, I was in in Texas and no, I was out, out at Enchanted Rock. Oh. And he's like, what, what a place to meet Stephen Greer. It was so Was odd. he out there looking for craft? <laughs> uh, yeah, he was. I was. Really? I was with dad walking Jake and he he's like, oh, look at that awesome dog. And I turned around and I was like, you're fucking Stephen Greer. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yes, I am. And, uh, you know, I had to pull Jake away from him because he was trying to pet him. I was like, oh, you can't pet Jake. He's, he's not into that. Yeah. But uh, I talked to a couple other people that were there, part of the group. 
And so he was with it. Was he taking a group? Yeah, to look he was. For grass? T- li- they were literally going on to the top of Enchanted That's Rock crazy. and filming like the skies, contact in the desert kind the of sky thing. This guy did show me a picture of something very odd. Like didn't know what it was. It looked like a mechanical device in the sky and it wasn't a drone. Well, it's interesting because later in this episode, we're going to be talking about craft scene through night vision. Um, I have some we good had, videos for you, John, that yeah, going to make you go. Pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Pretty yeah. amazing stuff. But it, uh, We'll have them in the show notes. Yeah, it's kind of the stuff that Greer does with, takes people out to look. And I think he alleges that he can like call them psychically. Isn't that part of, that's part of the controversial yeah. aspect of Greer's work. It started when he was a kid. Yeah, yeah. he uses a lot of consciousness-based uh, right. summoning. Something. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, Stephen Greer, um, he gathered a, a group. I think it's a, maybe might be like 500 now of top scientists, former military officials, uh, aviation experts, people in these fields and industries that had experiences or were given access or knowledge about there being a kind of existence of extraterrestrials or UFOs or reality that interacted with these entities, these or just these craft. We, I don't even know if we know that they're extraterrestrial, but just the craft interacting with the U.S. government military. So. Yeah, he had that press conference. You asked if it was day before 9-11. It was uh, in May of 2001. So a few few months okay, before okay, September 11th yeah. happened. But that's one of the arguments is the reason this got buried. He he brought together 20 uh, members of military, government, all these different industries. Essentially like whistleblowers, right? Whistleblowers to talk, yeah, talk about the reality of this non-human presence. Right. This advanced military could be, well, it could be breakaway civilization like we're going to talk about today. Potentially human Civilization, human technology, extraterrestrial. It's parallel and advanced from us, or extraterrestrial. But the breakaway civilization civilization is the focus today, where the evidence and allegations that point to this um, sort of offshoot of humankind that started developing as early as the 1930s and at some point left our planet or has been working in secret from our planet to basically colonize space. There's space wars coming up. It's going to be an exciting episode. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Well, I was thinking we should play, there's another clip I found that's amazing from, I don't know if you've heard about the stuff that's been going on in Brazil lately, the alleged downed spacecraft in Brazil. There's these scenes that I saw online. I need to do some more validation, but pretty impressive where these missiles are being shot off at things in the sky and you hear it's really creepy i guess we could play real quick there's some that seem kind of phony and a couple that seem really legit we're like is this really is this actually going on right now in brazil yeah Yeah, we we could do it on our live where we do um the one is really creepy it it sounds really authentic but it's like this guy's yelling in in portuguese he's looking from a balcony during looks like late afternoon in brazil i forget what city maybe rio de janeiro i'm not sure but you hear these like kind of air raid sirens going off and you hear this female uh, speaker in Portuguese something, I don't know what she's saying, but it's like, repetition. It's like repeating this broadcast warning, whatever it is. Something like this is not a drill. These lights shooting off into the sky and I guess that their missiles, something's up there and then you hear this impact and it's, it's strikingly authentic. Like, like they were shooting something. You don't think you'd hear about that though? Like, it's not that we hear anything about stuff that goes on around the world of significance, but, Clyde Lewis talked about it on Ground Zero. Oh, did he? Yeah. So there were. This was just like a town in Brazil or something, and they were firing off weapons into the sky. I forget what city or town that was, but you know what? We should do. We should play this video and talk about it on our next live stream, so yeah. we can share the video on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I think we, we are going to be doing that pretty soon. Should yeah. we set a date right now? That'll be fun, and we can play clips, you know, live, and people can see what we're talking about. Yeah, we attempted for those of you who went to our hangout in the hole uh, last time. It was a little rough. Uh, I had video that was going, but Chris and John were frozen in time, and uh, you couldn't see <laughs> much of the interaction. People still seem to enjoy it, though. I think it was still a fun conversation with our listeners. Yeah. We had people calling in, which was cool. It's way more loose. Yeah, maybe topics, a couple clips, bullet points, and so interacting with people is fun. And we kind of just keep bouncing off 
yeah. ideas off of each other and it keeps keeps going forward that way. Yeah, so, so if you're interested in that, go to YouTube, our YouTube channel, Bleafhole Podcast, and then click the little bell and subscribe so that you get notified when we go live in case you miss the date. And thanks to everyone who did that after our last call for YouTube subscribers. Okay, so that would be June 5th. We will be doing a live stream podcast from 7 to whenever, yes. Eastern Standard Time. So join us, guys. Come into the hole with us. Oh, Should be fun. <laughs> anyway, let's move Join on quick before the holes, anybody wraps their head around that phrase. Holy crap. Um, <laughs> moving on. I didn't even notice. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so, okay. So, yes, breakaway civilization, the secret space war. This is a fascinating topic, guys. I'm really excited about it. I mean, this has been going on for a long time. Anyone that's followed any kind of alternative fringe ideas that align itself with uh, UFOs, aliens, extraterrestrials, um, this concept that at some point in time, the shadowy hand behind the military and the governments of the world, or specifically the U.S. in, in this case for today, has been building an infrastructure of advanced technology that perhaps we're seeing in the skies today. We might call it UFOs, we might call it aliens. We don't know what it is, but there is something going on. There's something up there. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest, and there's whistleblowers that have come out and said that there is a parallel technological movement running alongside ours, alongside our U.S. military, alongside our government apparatus that has its own separate agenda and organization and structures that are building out this parallel to our own with technology. Like you always hear like- So this isn't Space Force. Uh, it is. It is? So well, th that's that's one argument. Yeah, okay, so- They're, well, they're going to bring it into the light more? So here's a quick argument. This comes from uh, the work of Dr. Michael Sala. But Space Force, Space Force is the modern day like- what Trump is okay. pushing. Yeah, so this is this is where it depends on who you listen to. But Dr. Michael Sala, in his book, it's called like The Secret Space War and Space Force or something. I think it just came out fairly recently. Um, his argument is that a long time ago, shortly after Eisenhower, um, the U.S. military, the Air Force specifically, was offered advanced technology to become the preeminent space force in the world. So the U.S. would have offered dominance by, whom? by extraterrestrials? extraterrestrial, you know, intelligences that they were interacting with. Basically, said uh, and corporate corporations, Lockheed Martin, groups like that, promised this kind of advanced technology to the U.S. Air Force, so they could dominate space essentially before any other country did. And supposedly, according to Michael Sala, recently they've discovered, and this makes me think of like videos that have come out of like that massive ship that looks like it's feeding energy off the sun. Oh, that's amazing. You know, like, yeah. you know the solar, the ship in the sun kind of thing? Right, right. Um, but there's a lot of things that have come out and supposedly people inside the U.S. Air Force and other organizations have discovered that they've been lied to. That essentially the technology that was given to them by these corporate entities and maybe extraterrestrial entities and groups pale in comparison to really what's out there in space. So what they say essentially is that Dr. Michael Sala equates this to basically like them being promised to be, you know, the wardens of space, this like massive uh, power in space and technological military power. And they're essentially like the Coast Guard, you know, that's yeah. like hobbled, you know, it's the small. Right. What well, wasn't the idea that these corporations would offer their skills and knowledge to help the government develop this technology, but secretly they were developing it much faster on their own, just taking right. the government's money. Exactly. That, that was the that was the reason, the motivation for working with the government in the first place. Exactly. Black projects, you know, secret uh, government operations, or yeah, secret black operations, deep, the deep state of the uh, military industrial complex. Right. That's essentially what this is. Creating an entire reality of technology, advanced craft that can you know, stop on a dime and spin in the sky, these triangular crafts that are, you know, hundreds of years ahead of what we think is capable right now. But the idea that it could be a parallel 
um, breakaway civilization of our own. Right. They just had advanced technology and didn't share it with the rest of us. Yeah, so let's get into some of the Where evidence. free energy comes in. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge part of it. So I, a good place to start, I think, and a lot of this stuff people will be familiar with, but it's going to be a twist on it. Uh, and I thought a great place to start would be Kenneth Arnold, because we talked about him before. Um, it's Kevin Arnold. Not the guy from The Wonder <laughs> the Years. Wonder years. Um, Kenneth Arnold. Winnie. The Washingtonian who saw those nine objects going by Mount Rainier when he was out. I think he was out on a reconnaissance mission. There was like a reward out for some downed aircraft. Oh, really? That's what he, that's, so was he working for the U.S. Air Force at the time? No, Kenneth I don't. I, no, he think he was just flying as a citizen when he came okay. across that. But, so um, he coined the term flying saucer. Well, I'm, well we're going to get into that right now. Okay, let's do it, Chris. The argument is, well, first of all, he never said flying saucer. And then what mm. he saw was actually something that turned out to look a lot like something that Nazi Germany was developing mm. years before. Oh, right. Didn't he say something like they flew like, they look like saucers skipping off? Well, yeah. Well, John, okay. do you want to start us off here? John, there's a picture, by the way. What? Oh, that, oh, that right there? It was taken from, uh, uh, I think, one of Corey Good's personal satellites. Did you see this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> One That's of his awesome. personal satellites. <laughs> See, I would join Space Force if we got to do stuff like that. Would get blown up in a spaceship. It might be worth it if you get to go through a Stargate first. Yeah, it looks like they're coming out of a Stargate portal. Battling underwater. draconian lizard men. Chris. That would might be worth it. You get scared when your fan turns off. <laughs> Why would I get scared? Oh. It's so quiet. It does get quiet. It's <laughs> because I'm left my own thoughts, and that's much more terrifying than lizard people in space. <laughs> like, Space Force is fine. As long as I'm not alone in the aircraft, you know? <laughs> I got an intercom that I can talk to my compatriots out there in space. You guys are out Flying there, around. Right? Hello? Bogey on the right. Hello? Where'd everyone go? <laughs> I'm frightened. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, all right. I'm a courageous man. All right, Kenneth Arnold, June 24th, 1947. Go for John. The Kenneth Arnold UFO sighting occurred on June 24th, 1947, when Kenneth Arnold claimed that he saw a string of nine shiny unidentified flying objects flying past Mount Rainier at speeds that Arnold estimated at a minimum of 1,200 miles an hour. This was the first post-war sighting in the United States that garnered nationwide news coverage and is credited with being the first of the modern era of UFO sightings, including numerous reported sightings over the next two to three weeks. Arnold's description of the objects also led to the press coining the terms flying saucer and flying disc as popular descriptive terms for UFOs. So that's where we get that term. Ah, that's where it all began. Right. But what's interesting about this is what I had mentioned previously was that the crafts that he saw were not circular. Right. 100%. They were wing-shaped, right? Well, let's read the next part. Okay. <clears throat> Years later, Arnold claimed he told Bill Baquette that, quote, they flew erratic like a saucer if you skip it across the water. So that's where the saucer name came in. So he never said they look like flying saucers. He said they moved like saucers skipping over water. So he wasn't describing the shape. This is interesting. So he says, uh, it says, Arnold felt that he had been misquoted since the description referred to the object's motion rather than their shape. Thus, Baquette has often been credited with first using flying saucer and supposedly misquoting Arnold. But the term does not appear in Baquette's early articles. Instead, his first article of June 25th says only, he said he sighted nine saucer-like aircraft flying in formation. So yeah, we're, who knows who first started that flying saucer. Right, you know. and this clears it up even more. The next day, in a much more detailed article, Paquette wrote, quote, He clung to a story of shiny, flat objects racing over the Cascade Mountains with a peculiar weaving motion, quote, like the tail of a Chinese kite. He also described the objects as saucer-like, in the way that a saucer would skip over the water, and their motion, quote, like fish flipping in the sun. He described the objects as, 
quote, flat like a pie pan and somewhat bat-shaped. Weird. So that's the key there, is the, the shape. Wasn't like a saucer. So we got some pictures here. These are going to be in the show notes, yeah, right, Chris? Can you, play, can you show Arnold's description first, Jeremy? So this is what Arnold described to an illustrator, this this oh, weird. So that's what he saw. Not a circular flying disc. It looks sort of like a bat. Crescent. Like a batarang, you know? Yeah, Batman like a crescent kind of with kind a It kind of looks like a, like a stealth bomber a little bit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's called the flying wing, is, is that, or that became the idea in, um, I think it started out in uh, special projects and stuff, secret government development of that kind of craft, right? The, the flying wing. Was that Arnold like? saw this, right? Ten years before he saw that, Nazi Germany was developing this. It does look futuristic even for Weird. now. Look at that. Look how close that looks to that. That is, what's that called here? The Ho 229 or something? HO 229. So Nazi Germany was building those. Hmm. And test flying them. This was 10 years 10 earlier? 10 years before, around 10 years before, Arnold had seen that crescent-shaped thing. So at a distance, if you see that thing... That's huge, too. And if you, for comparison, what most warplanes looked like at that time, click on the other image here. Well, for our listeners, what we're looking at now... Yeah, so this was developed by the or by the Germans, right? Right. In the 30s, supposedly? Yeah. Or they, they were began. working on the technology, and this, it looks like... Um, yeah, kind of like a boomerang almost that's, you know, fairly straight. It's not super curved. It looks like a moth. Yeah, it looks like a, yeah, yeah like a moth. Um, but it has that kind of V shape with a little, little itty bitty, um, tail, tail on the back, uh, like very tiny, but it looks just like Kenneth Arnold's image that he very similar. Yeah. Sketched later. And so, yeah, for comparison, I mean, anybody can Google this, but here's an example. This is called the P-47 Thunderbolt. Uh, this is what most aircraft during that time period looked like. So if you compare that to what Germany had built there, like look <laughs> yeah. how much more advanced. That's ridiculous. And look how striking it is in comparison to what Kenneth Arnold saw. Yeah, well, what we had at the time, that the Thunderbolt Just looks like, like a toy. Yeah. Looks like a little toy. And then this thing looks like an advanced- It looks like a stealth bomber. Elite it does technology. look like a stealth bomber. Yeah. Right, which wasn't supposedly what developed until like the 80s or 90s or something. Yeah, much, much Guys, later. Guys, definitely go scroll in whatever app you're listening in and check out the pictures real quick so you yeah. get an idea. Yeah, click on, click on a link to our show notes on our website and we'll have all the pictures listed there. Yeah, these are pretty incredible. Anyways, I thought that was kind of fascinating because I've never heard that side of the Kenneth Arnold's experience. You know, you always hear he saw flying saucers right. from outer space. But that actually didn't come from him. Interesting. Right, so that's just kind of the first little anecdote that kind of points to the possibility of breakaway civilization from our own devising. Right. Okay, so let's let's go back. Let's get to the beginning of kind of where the supposed interaction with E.T. began when it comes to the U.S. government and extraterrestrial life or extraterrestrial intervention, allegedly. Okay, so... That's going to take us back to Eisenhower. So for anyone who knows the lore, you may have be familiar with the concept of Eisenhower having secret meetings with uh, E.T. Yeah, right? that's always fun. Yeah, and some would suggest, and I think this might come from more of the Corey Goodbent, the specificity of it being the Nordics, right? These, these tall, blonde hair, blue-eyed, almost magical-like benevolent entities, because they're supposed to be benevolent, right? The Nordics. Right. The, yeah, they're the good guys. Yeah. But regardless, there, there's evidence to suggest, and we'll get to a really interesting whistleblower down the road here about his specific testimony of what happened. So we're, some of it's conjecture, but there's some interesting, incredible witness testimony coming up here um, that there was some kind of reality to this. Oh, and I will say to set this up, uh, Eisenhower disappeared for one day, and Dr. Michael Sala and others, uh, some whistleblowers he's brought forward are suggesting that it was during this day, this time period, that this uh, secret base was shut down for a period of three days. And in those three days, Eisenhower was whisked away under the cover of uh, losing a dental filling and had to go for an emergency <laughs> dental appointment. Instead, he actually went to the, uh, 
I think it might have been Edwards Air Force Base, to meet with the extraterrestrials. Sounds like a better way to spend your afternoon. Yeah, so let's go ahead and, Chris, read a little bit from this here. All right. This comes from uh, Dr. Michael Saul's book called U.S. Air Force Secret Space Program. In the late afternoon hours of February 20th, 1954, while on a vacation to Palm Springs, California, President Eisenhower went missing and did not reappear until the next morning. Whistleblowers allege that he was secretly brought to Edwards Air Force Base for a sensitive meeting which was never reported. Officially, when the president showed up the next morning at a church service in Los Angeles, reporters were told that he had simply been taken for an emergency dental treatment the previous evening. The disappearance fueled rumors that Eisenhower was using the fictitious dentist visit as a cover story for a highly classified event which took place at a nearby military facility. Sala goes on to claim, this clandestine engagement is possibly the most significant that any American president could conduct. An alleged first contact meeting with human-looking extraterrestrials at a U.S. Air Force base to negotiate the country's nuclear weapons program, technological assistance from the Galactic Federation, and officially disclosing the truth about the Nordic visitors. Okay, so you get some of those keywords there, like Galactic Federation. Yeah. That may come from Corey Good, which is, you know, as we'll get into in the expansion, uh, he's a lot more controversial of a figure, I think a lot less reputable, but we'll, we'll get into that. Um, he doesn't have any hard evidence, really. It's a lot of really good stories. And we'll, yeah, we'll get into the ins and outs of that towards the end and then into the expansion. Right, and the point of all this, too, is when we, we do get into the Corey Good stuff and the stuff that is more controversial, like as far as his credibility goes, uh, he is mixed in a lot, especially with Sal's work, with other maybe more reputable sources. And it's it's difficult because, you know, there's that argument where he could be the turd in the punch bowl. You right. know, it could be the guy that's, you know, stinking up the casserole because his information... Oh, don't put turd and casserole <laughs> in the same paragraph. But he's, he's, you know, he's got information that if he if he isn't legit, then it's easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. These are a lot of cliches I'm using, but you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, this, I was going to ask when you kind of brought this up, was there any evidence to point to this secret meeting? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get to it here. Okay, okay. Okay, so some of uh, Michael Sala, Dr. Michael Sala, he loves his circumstantial evidence. He Like like with the Stargate episode we did, he had right. a lot of circumstantial evidence points, but this is a piece here. Um, Edwards Air Force Base was closed for three days during the period Eisenhower's Palm Springs visit. Renowned UFO researcher Lieutenant Colonel Wendell Stevens wrote about the base closure. A number of researchers and former military personnel confirmed that the base was closed to all servicemen who tried to enter or leave. That is interesting. Events of tremendous national security must have been occurring for Edwards to be suddenly closed without any prior warning to base personnel. Okay, so this is right at the same time when Eisenhower mysteriously disappears. And there was another whistleblower, I don't think I have it here, but it was an ambulance worker at the base who said that they were preparing essentially for Eisenhower to be there. Oh, that is interesting. Um, well, I mean, that base would be the base to go to because... I'm thinking of right, Pat. But Edwards right. is also, in UFO lore, is a place for... It's a hot spot for sure. Right, yeah. Okay, another whistleblower named Bill Holden revealed his own research into the closure of Edwards Air Force Base during Eisenhower's top-secret 1954 visit. Mm. Quote, Now history says that this is where he met the ETs and that an agreement was signed between the U.S. and the ETs. And as far as that, a mothership was seen coming in. There were a number of UFOs coming in. And the base was literally shut down for three days. I have been able to find that the base was shut down for three days. <laughs> I've been able to find in civilian records, newspaper accounts, and everything else as far as those facts were validated. Okay, so those are kind of some whistleblowers or, or actually more just people doing research into, let's see, uh, 
Eisenhower disappears. Uh, the nearby base was closed down. Another whistleblower testifies that he was an ambulance worker stationed at the base, and right. they were preparing for him to be there. And another person said that, like a reporter for Los Angeles Times or something, had tried to get access to the base and was refused it. There's a lot of information in this that we'll link in the book that you can read deeper into this that corroborates that. But this is the interesting one to me because this is an actual eyewitness testimony of a document relating to this incident that proves that at least there was some documentation or something that there was, in fact, a meeting between Eisenhower and extraterrestrials. Or at least an invitation, Ooh. whether or not there was a meeting. Unless this is a CIA piece of disinfo that this uh, former congressman was meant to see. So is that is that where this document's coming from? It's a former House of Representatives guy, right? Yeah, I'm about to mention that here. Yeah, former state representative Henry W. McElroy, while serving in New Hampshire's State Federal Relations and Veteran Affairs Committee, was witness to a secret brief prepared for Eisenhower, informing him of an ET presence and inviting him to meet. That's pretty substantial there. Yeah, so this is a guy, he was a former state representative. Um, I think he actually might, might have been behind trying to get his state to coin money based off gold and silver or something like that. He was like a kind of an anti-centrist, an anti-globalist in a sense. But he was a legit guy. And he came out with this testimony, I think maybe inspired by Dr. Greer and all those people coming uh, that's out. That's interesting. He was inspired by John Glenn and other astronauts who supposedly were coming out, you know, with witnessing this kind of stuff because he thought the world should know. And so I have a clip here, John, if you want to play it, in his own words, describing the document that he had witnessed. So this is Dr. Henry McElroy. Good name. Former state representative of New Hampshire. The document I saw was an official brief to President Eisenhower. To the best of my memory, this brief was pervaded with a sense of hope, and it informed President Eisenhower of the continued presence of extraterrestrial beings here in the United States of America. The brief seemed to indicate that a meeting between the president and some of these visitors could be arranged as appropriate if desired. The tone of the brief indicated to me that there was no need for concern since these visitors were in no way causing any harm mm. yeah. or had any intention whatsoever of causing any disruption then or in the future. While I can't verify the times That's what or you would places say. or that any meeting or meetings occurred directly between Eisenhower and these visitors, because of his optimism in his farewell address in 1961, I personally believe that Eisenhower did indeed meet with these extraterrestrial off-world astronauts. I hope my personal testimony will aid the nation in its quest for continued enlightenment. I am honored to follow in the footsteps of those who have come forward with their personal testimonies, those who deserve the admiration of the American people for sharing their accounts. Yeah. Well, good on good on him. Yeah. Good on him for speaking out. I mean, that's got to be kind of a ballsy move. Well, that's the thing is like, you know, this is a former state representative, right? And he's obviously getting older. And this is something that it seems pretty genuine that he witnessed this yeah. this brief he came across. And now this is an invitation. Hey, yeah. come meet with these uh, these benevolent aliens. You know, they're not going to hurt us. They're only they're only good. It almost made it sound like again, like it wasn't. He said astronauts. 
Yeah, I think just because they're in space. At that time, they yeah. said they were extraterrestrial. But then again, right. yeah, I wonder how much of that is actually in there. Because there's a lot of this where people assume that they're extraterrestrial, but there's not necessarily a lot of evidence to suggest that. Although if it were going to be a group meeting with Eisenhower, I mean, that brief seemed to suggest that it was extraterrestrial, not just an offshoot organization of well, some Well, that was kind. at least his interpretation of that well yeah. this could be where the beginning of the breakaway civilization starts yeah in our well, modern I mean, time absolutely i mean the, the whole breakaway civilization thing it could coincide with meetings for the first time first contact you right know? so like one of the things he said in that was you know he thinks that this may have taken place he thinks it does because of the optimism in eisenhower's farewell address right and eisenhower went on to i think it was after this supposed memo that he announced the peace through particles or something where he started the dismantling of atomic weapons. Supposedly, oh, really? that's this was one, maybe one of the impetus if he had this meeting with these, you know, extraterrestrials or whatever. Um, impetus. Impetus. That's a possibility. That would make sense. But interesting to kind of peg this as a beginning point to where we forked off in technology. Right. Where we started, maybe we were given certain... But what's crummy about that is it's, <laughs> it's just for... The elite. I mean, just for right. these, you know, is, yeah. is it really helping us? Is it helping the people of Earth? Well, I think it seems to me like there's a good chance that Eisenhower was fooled in this alleged alliance because, I mean, what, I mean, there seems like there's a lot of potential for doing good in the world if this technology were mm -hmm. uh, distributed, and yet it's still being kept under the cloak of darkness, you know? And how yeah. many wars and just all sorts of things go on because of these secrets? Because of yeah. a lack of energy. What, what's really know? going well, on? More than wars. just yeah. energy. It just seems like, I mean, you know, even things with like the coronavirus, mm -hmm. you know, whatever you want to say about the virus itself, they're always going to be using circumstances and situations. The grab I don't know if there's anything directly related, but right. when there's these massive scale sort of programming, social engineering that they right. use when these events happen. Propaganda. Yeah. It's just like you wonder how much it like, is there anything related to this, you know, with disclosure or anything else? What's that popular phrase? Uh, never let a good. Yeah. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Right. Right. By Eric Holder. Yeah. Obama's, Obama's. Oh, that's right. Secretary of Milkshakes or something. That's what he did. <laughs> I think he was Attorney General. Yeah, I think that's right. Is it guys out there in the world? Let us know. <laughs> uh, we didn't know last time we talked about that, actually. And I could. I think I said like Secretary of State, which was wrong. I think it was Attorney I'll General. I'll jump while you're making your other point. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. I wasn't going to bring this up, but um, yeah, Attorney General, you're right. We don't have to get on a topic because, you know, on the Hangout stuff, we'll, maybe we'll talk about what's going on in the world right now with Corona and all this crazy stuff. But, uh, there's this kind of interesting idea that that I had that was just like, you hear about this idea of Project Bluebeam where they want to oh, yeah. you know get the world united under one mm -hmm. world government and, and the best way to do that would be to scare you know Ronald Reagan. I sometimes think what would happen if we were threatened by an outside you know oh, extraterrestrial force. Great right? quote from him coming up. Right. So there's they that. chose a pandemic instead. Right. Well, here's the question: Could this be a, a rollout, a pre-Project Bluebeam rollout to see how we would deal with a world? catastrophe, right. you know, just to see like, would we respond to government saying, stay at home and stay safe mm -hmm. if the next, maybe the next move could be, uh, it's aliens or stay at home. <laughs> I feel like this, they don't even need one though. Yeah. You know, like at this point, I feel like they could have gone either way, but you know, if, if anyone that really believes that there is this sort of secret cabal that sort of programs where our society goes over long periods of time. Right. Which is engineers, yeah, the and, and they well, even if they don't engineer them, they wait for them to happen and right. then they use it, they take advantage of they it. They respond in a way that they have already planned. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, for most people in this truth conspiracy community, they've known these events happen, right? And they've been waiting for you know, a lot of people talk about Project Bluebeam, waiting mm -hmm. for that to happen, waiting for this next big event where they continuously push their totalitarian Agenda 21. exactly. 
And it seems like this was a really good way to use it. Yeah. You know, it's it's so much better than a, an alien invasion because people are united with the effort. Right. You know, it's like... That's a good point. It's just, if you were a bad guy and you were going to make a plan to like escalate <laughs> this down the road, a pandemic is the perfect opportunity right. to do that. Because you've pleased yourself out of fear. Yeah, you know? exactly. What's the thing? Yeah, this, this you know, obviously people are are suffering and it's it's a sickness and the best way to use that is to scare the shit out of people about it and to make them you know how can we push this as far as possible and what can what kind of liberties can we get them to give up right you know and that's kind of i mean who knows where we're at with that you know with the specific yeah it's a little bit of a side trail but it's hard to you know when you get into project blue beam or whatever it right. seems like these are massive global events that can change the face of right that have been predicted history yeah you know, they've been predicted by whistleblowers and you know even elites that have spoken out and just said like well, this is what's coming yeah this is what we'd like to do orwell stuff you yeah. know anyways yeah this is this is a little off topic but you know it touches on what's happening in the world right now just when it comes to like you know well, yeah, and it's hard not to talk about this stuff too. I mean, it's very present what's going on lately. But I would like to take a break. Yeah. But before we do, I, I just want to say how exciting would that be if you were walking by a desk and you're working somewhat in relation to the president, you see a memo that says something like that. You just happen to catch a glance of it. Yeah. You know? Well, I think this was years later and they were reviewing documents that oh, during the crazy. Eisenhower administration. Yeah. It wasn't, he didn't work for Eisenhower, I don't believe. He was just... He was in a... It'd have been funny if they had like uh, requirements of like what he had to wear when he met them, like how he had to perform, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, what he must he had to wear do. these well, items. One of those things too where like it could be that this document was slipped into everything else by the CIA or some kind of disinformation campaign. There's always so that many possibility. Levels, you yes. know, when you get into these like high, high level, you know, whatever you want to call them, right. it's just like, Clearance how do stuff. you know? Yeah, how do you know what's real? It always goes back to trusting sources. Even his sources. testimony could be, you right. know, a way to and to me it's alter like, the consciousness. We talked about this a long time ago when it comes to like uh, Bob Dean, right? I love that guy from Project Camelot, mm -hmm. you know? There are people that you watch long enough and you can get this twinkle of authenticity You're in right. their eye. And that's kind of what it has to come down to because at the end yeah. of the day, yeah. we're, we're listening to officials, we're listening to whistleblowers. Uh, you can corroborate it with what's going on and, and make parallels and connections. But at the end of the day, like... You have to, there's some level of like, who do you trust? Right. And, and you have to, that's a skill that develops over time too. You know, like being able to read people. Right. And and some people are just not good at it. Yeah. Some, some people, people are just aren't. not good at reading people. You know, that's why there's a lot and of gold. You can get tricked there. by people too that, All time, you know, yeah. that, that definitely are actors and good at acting. Mm -hmm. But there is, there is something within really genuine people that, and that people are usually drawn to people like that right. over time. That's why some people have an issue with Corey. Right, and I understand that. A lot of stuff in the I eyes. See, I, I got into him at the very beginning when, and I was excited about the information, yeah. so I didn't, and it was so new. I was just like, yes, this has to be real. Right. But, you know, over as time has gone on, it definitely, there's a lot more A lot of questions, questions. for sure. Well, that'll be interesting. Yeah, we're going to get into more of Corey Good. We're going to talk about him a little Still bit. Still a fascinating, fun story, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to get into the beginning of his stuff, I think, at the end of this episode, and then probably more of the controversy and the, the weird, crazy stuff in the expansion. Yeah, for sure. That's probably how it'll be. little tasters. Yeah, but there's still a lot a lot of interesting stuff coming up in this episode. A lot of disclosure and evidence of the breakaway civilization and the secret space war. So, guys, stick around after the break. We're going to get into some interesting stuff. So Buckle up and get in your craft. We're going to go for a ride. And have a flush flush. We'll see you in a minute. We'll be back. What? A flush <laughs> flush? Wow, way to take a really good exit into the break and turn it into a weird I was trying to figure out what I could do to get John to stop himself and say, what? <laughs> well, you did well, a good job. Worked. Thank you. <laughs> Success. All right, we'll be back.
Pick up, pick up. Hi. Thanks for calling the Bleep Hole oh, Hotline. Thank God. Got a spooky story? I do. I do. It's all real. They're outside no right... No one's available to take your call. But you can leave what? your story at the sound what? of the tone. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. They're, they're outside right now. They're outside. No. Do you have a spooky story? Don't wait until it's too late. Give us a call. Beliefhole.com And we're back. Welcome back. All right. I'm excited about this next part. I just thought this was interesting because this is a presidential diary entry that does kind of give some credence to the idea of a breakaway civilization. And this is why. Oh, okay. So this was from Reagan's presidential diary in 1985. Um, does anybody want to read this? Who can do a Reagan act? Can I you do can, a Reagan? Uh, I don't really know what he sounds he like. He sounds like this. That's not bad, actually. Maybe you Kind of like it. a Christian Slater, but breathier. Lunch with the top five space scientists. <laughs> That's like Reagan mixed with like a creep. <laughs> it was fascinating. Space truly. Is that the... Why That's don't you do it? I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> Lunch with five top scientists. It was fascinating. Space truly is the frontier. The last you frontier. You sound like the bad guy from Batman. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. What? The Joker? No. no uh, yeah, some villain. Do it again. We'll figure out what villain you are. <laughs> I'll just read it normal. Lunch with five space scientists. It was fascinating. Space truly is the last frontier, and some of the developments there in astronomy, etc., are like science fiction, except they are real. I learned that our shuttle capacity is such that we could orbit 300 people. Mm. Okay, why that's interesting is because at the time, NASA's space shuttle program had a maximum of 11 people per shuttle. And only five were built for space flight. Oh, weird. So you do the numbers there and... 55? Yeah, so 55 astronauts. But that's the capacity we knew of at the time. But he knew of apparently... But he's saying 300 astronauts. How many shuttles? And then uh, Michael Sala alleges, you know, if you're orbiting 300 people, you need space stations. What space stations are out there that could handle that payload of human beings? Well, especially in 85. In 1985, right. I mean, we stopped going to the moon So your argument is before. Reagan is hinting at a... Uh, kind of a breakaway civilization idea, a right? Potential, a potentiality that there were shuttles and space programs going on that were out of the purview of the American public. Ooh, and So it wasn't included in the at least the disclosed NASA. Perhaps some stuff. off-world officers? Right, mm-hmm. and that takes us to Gary McKinnon, which we talked mm-hmm. about before. I don't, John, I don't know if you remember that or not, but it was a, a guy who had hacked into the Pentagon and several other intelligence agencies, offices, hacked into all these computers, allegedly had caused millions of dollars worth of damage, quote unquote. So they were trying to extradite him from, was from London. Uh, early 2000s. Huh. I've heard his name before. Really fascinating stuff. He was the first hacker to be, to, the, the U.S. government tried to extradite. Exactly. Right? And for what? For looking for evidence of extraterrestrial well, life. Well, they, he hacked into the government. Well, Pentagon. Know, obviously, right, right, right. But he did it. Is it going to explain how he did it in here? I watched an interview with him and he was saying how essentially like for the password, he put in password. <laughs> In the no. network settings. That's how that's how secure the Department of Defense was. Wow. No way. Yeah. It, what? Because it's, it's it's just a network, and he somehow pinged the network, and then it asked for an admin password, and he put in the default, and they just wow. didn't set it up. Like Area Fifty One, the Pentagon, wherever he was able to hack. Wow. Maybe there is some credibility to just more uh, stupidity. Yeah. Incompetence. Incompetence. Yeah. yeah. It's like they want you to find it. Maybe that's the conspiracy. 
So they tried to they tried to get him extradited, but what was so interesting was what he had claimed to discover in there. So he had spent right. two years trying to get into these places to prove the existence of extraterrestrial life. Which what a cool objective. What a cool uh agenda as a yeah. hacker. Like that's your agenda. That's like pretty... I'm a hacker from X Files. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Lone gunman or something. So this comes from a wired interview that he did. With Gary McKinnon. With Gary McKinnon. A NASA photographic expert said that there was a Building 8 at Johnson Space Center where they regularly airbrushed out images of UFOs from the high-resolution satellite imaging. I logged on to NASA and was able to access this department. Access granted. They had huge, high-resolution images stored in their picture files. They had filtered and unfiltered or processed and unprocessed files. Okay, this is fascinating because I have coming up here testimony from her from the woman who worked as a, a contractor for NASA, who, where her colleague admitted to her that they regularly airbrush out. So that's what he's referencing. It's Building 8. Wow, so he heard that story, and then he hacked in to find that, and that's actually crazy. found it. We'll play that. Go Gary. One of the things that, uh, that tips me off here to this, there's some authenticity to this, is that he describes the high-resolution images, right? More high-res than we had, that the public had at the time, the capability. Right. They were massive images with uh, crystal clear imaging. Some of these images were supposedly taken, you know, before we landed on the moon. Oh, really? Yeah, and they were supposedly like super high def. Well, the one that he saw, he thought was uh, potentially from a satellite above the craft looking down right. at this sort of, well, he'll explain okay, what it okay. looks like here. All right, so he continues. My dial-up 56K connection was very slow trying to download one of those picture files. As this was happening, I had remote control of their desktop, and by adjusting it to 4-bit color and low screen resolution, I was able to briefly see one of these pictures. It was a silvery, cigar-shaped object with geodesic spheres on either side. There were no visible seams or riveting. There was no reference to the size of the object, and the picture was taken presumably by a satellite looking down on it. The object didn't look man-made or anything like what we have created. Yeah, so that to me sounds like a sort of space station or base station or some, you know, with the with the two geodesic domes on either side. Mm -hmm. What is a geodesic dome? Uh, I am picturing a globe-like, like a maybe like a almost full globe on either side. Um, what does geodesic mean? I should know. There you go. Oh, okay, yeah, that's what I was picturing. Remember biodome with Polly Shore? Mm -hmm. That's a geodesic dome. So yeah. Oh, okay. So it's built out of this grid sort of pattern. It's like it's triangles? Like built up by, with polygons or triangles. Yeah. Okay. Like the Epcot Center. All right. And then he continues on. Oh, this is interesting. This part's really fascinating. And it kind of goes back to Reagan's quote about the 300, the capacity to have 300 people in space at one time. Mm -hmm. Quote, I also got access to Excel spreadsheets. One was titled, quote, non-terrestrial officers. It contained names and ranks of U.S. Air Force personnel who were not registered anywhere else. It also contained information about ship-to-ship -ship transfers, but I've never mm. seen the names of these ships noted anywhere else. That's really interesting. That's yeah, highly specific. I mean, that, that's the thing, too, is like if Gary McKinnon's legit, which he seems to me, I've seen him in interviews, we'll link one in the show notes, yeah. but if he's legit, then either there's there's one of two things going on. One, he actually found this information about non-terrestrial officers uh, with the specific information about ship-to-ship uh, -ship transfers and things like that. There is definitely breakaway civilization. Or, yeah, like, I mean, the odd thing that the security was so vulnerable and was so easily hacked and accessible right. that maybe some of this information was supposed to get out. There's I don't always know. That, that seems like a high level of coincidences for it to accidentally get out there. It's a honeypot. 
you know, you put the information out there that, uh, that Building 8 is the place to look based on the previous whistleblower. He goes and looks there. The door is unlocked. You have to in. hope there's a hacker out there that's just wanting to find proof of extraterrestrials and who's really good at hacking. Well, and, who has, and who has the, the courage to hack government installations. I'm just being playing devil's advocate here. Yeah. But it is a possibility. Gary comes to the rescue. I remember hearing, uh, do you know what happened to him? Because uh-uh. they were trying to extradite him forever. Yeah. And from Britain, right? I forget what year it was, but they they decided not to let us take him and try him. Hmm. Uh, the home secretary or whoever uh, over there in Britain Where? said okay. he was obviously seriously ill and Aww, had really? depression. Well, he Reminds was, me of Julian Assange. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if seriously ill is a good way to describe him because he, uh, I mean, he had Asperger's. Oh, and okay. uh, he d- did have depression. It was battling depression. But to me, that almost makes him more sincere. Hmm. So basically, I just thought those were a couple more interesting points that kind of point to a possibility of the sort of breakaway civilization we've been talking about. Um, there's a lot of stuff we're going to skip in this episode uh, that you can really get into, like the the development of the technologies, a lot of the whistleblowing and documents that relate to this, things like electrogravitics, which is fascinating. There's stuff about the Byfield-Brown effect. John, I think you might be familiar with that electrostatic stuff we talked about off the air a little bit. Well, it's the idea that you you electrically charge... Anti-gravity-like uh, effects using static electricity, okay. electromagnetics. Mm-hmm. Well, it was super fascinating stuff. We're, we're not going to get into the Aurora stuff or the, the flying triangles. You know what I just realized? We could do this show forever. Yeah. There's so much stuff. Don't man. worry, guys. We're not going anywhere. We have a ton There's to a lot explore. of the stuff that I want to go back and do deeper dives yeah, on aspects to I'm this sure, breakaway yeah. stuff. There's so much out there, especially when you get into Richard Dolan's You could take one of these topics and probably break it down. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. You could just do... Just Byfield-Brown effect. Yeah. And how that relates to gravity. Yeah, and how it shows that gravity is not real and it's really static charge. Not, well, yeah. Gravity's real. Well, the, agree to disagree. The feeling of gravity is real. Yeah, it's a it's a real effect. We just but well, it, none of us are quantum physicists, mathematicians. So well, none of us are government agents, but we're. That's why I never say something is for sure not real. Well, or it real. doesn't have to. I didn't be say for it's sure. not. You said sure. well, gravity's not real. I'm saying that because you know I've bit my tongue this whole time. I haven't said anything about the flat Earth. I'm entertaining <laughs> this entire thing. Should get some credit for that without having to say. Mm-hmm. You're right. Congratulations. Thank you. Did you want to add anything? That's it. <laughs> uh, not that, yeah, not that the earth is flat. I'm just saying. Jeremy, just tell tell what you believe. I feel that a lot of this could be not what we think it is. So Jeremy doesn't believe in space. No, that's not true. I love that. Well, you were misnomer. talking about this at the, the introduction of this episode. You're like, you know, and maybe not extraterrestrials. Uh, maybe uh, it's it all be, it could be interplanet, inner earth. Yeah. You always have to. Uh, I'm not saying because of flat earth. I'm just saying. Because we, we, it goes against his belief system. If you keep yeah, saying aliens, aliens, extraterrestrials. I said both. Potentially. I know. So I said, but as soon as I say they might, you know, it could be inner earth, it could be breakaway civilization. You say, oh, here we go. Jeremy, do you He's think it's possible that Code word for flat didn't earth. happen? You, do you think it's possible that it could not be flat, but also yeah. not round? So uh, it's something different than round. I think it could be round and much larger than we think. I, could, I think it could be flat. I think it could be. It's just the numbers seem to be not quite accurate as that's far as the how primary, they measure. That's the primary point. I'm not saying it's flat. I like to, you know, I like to get your your guff a little, but I think what else is what's odd, interesting is the numbers don't match up with the curve. That's one of the most interesting we, things. We to don't me. seem to be spinning at a thousand miles an hour around in circles. There's a lot of things that don't seem to make sense. Yeah, because there's a that's the one that really gets me because I've heard people break that down and there's just so many things about that that just seem so yeah not fully they, they don't make sense right we can we'll we'll save this for another episode on on this topic I know we'll but, be, we'll probably get some hate mail for this one yeah just for mentioning it well I would like but, to do a flat Earth kind of episode yeah we should where we, where we, should we really look that. at the research on it's both only sides only fair 
Yeah. You know, we're going to talk about the secret space program and like going to Mars and Corey Good battling lizard people and, and Venus 4, you know. We could talk about the Flat Earth on another episode. <laughs> we did. Seems. Well, we, we might as well do an update because we did archive that episode at this point. So. Our episode very first one. episode, yeah. I was, on, I was pretty on fire about it back in the day. And That's a fun episode. That was our pretty loosey-goosey. Yeah. There's a lot of fire it in that conversation. It is now strictly for patrons. <laughs> yeah, if you want to hear our first, you know, handful of episodes, you can go to our website and you can find them there. But yeah, you do have to be a patron to enjoy them, so... Uh, anyway, you're on. Game on. Well, let's have a debate. I'll be on the the you know mainstream science side, and even though I'm not really, yeah. Are you guys in, out there interested to hearing us debate the flat Earth and and its possible the possible realities of of the shape of the Earth and or do you want Chairman to nature of jump off a home. flat corner? Yeah, I know. There's a lot of anger and vitriol <laughs> on this topic. I just think it's fun to talk about. Absolutely, you know? I agree. Everything's fun to talk about to a degree. Um, to a degree. No, I mean, flat earth for sure. I think I don't think there's any harm in discussing that. I think it's way overblown that it's a dangerous topic. Right. But moving on, one thing I would wish we were getting in today, but it'll be future episode, the whole rural society stuff when it comes to the breakaway civilization. Mm-hmm. That plays a key role. And actually, we'll probably get into that into the Corey Good expansion. We're going to talk about the rural society? It's going to play a role. Ooh, okay. But we should do an episode on that for the regular Yeah, listeners. absolutely. It's fascinating. We will. All right, so to move on here, let's look at uh, some interesting quotes that have come out. I think people out there may be familiar with the quote from Ben Rich. Are you familiar with Ben Rich? Mm-mm. Ben Rich is known as the father of stealth technology. He worked at the famous uh, Skunk Works department of uh, Lockheed Martin. He was the second director. Oh, they were at Area 51. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I knew that. Partnered with the Central Intelligence Agency. That makes sense. He was a, a director of uh, Lockheed Skunk Works from 1975 to 1991. So he would give these speeches, these lectures a lot, right? And I have a, I have a link on here to a, a website that was kind of skeptical about this argument for this quote being real and not just tongue-in-cheek. But I think there's an argument to be made that it was real. Well, what is it? So the quote is, you guys may have heard of this, is something to the effect of, we have the technology to take E.T. home. And then he would end his lecture saying that with a slide of like a UFO going through the clouds. <laughs> Right, and so tongue. The idea, awesome. idea was that it was tongue in cheek, right? Because right. he worked for this secret organization that you know, or they developed secret technology that we couldn't know about for the military and the government. The skeptical argument was that you know he started his lectures around this time. E.T. by Steven Spielberg blew up as a popular film, and so you know we have technology to take E.T. It's like home. a cultural reference, it's kind of like a fun thing to say. But then, you know, he did believe in extraterrestrial life. He had talked to other people and made certain statements, and well, even if he was referencing the film. Why would you make the statement that you could you could bring an alien back? Well, there's more even more interesting statements. So this comes from Tom Keller. He was an aerospace engineer that worked as a computer systems analyst for NASA, NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And in May 2010, he wrote in an issue of MUFON UFO Journal. So that's interesting. This guy worked for Jet Propulsion Laboratory, also writes for MUFON. Yeah. Mutual UFO Network. Right? There's often a lot of overlap with people working mm-hmm. in these fields. That's the thing, too. They're interested in the topic. People who don't know that much about the real UFO history and lore, they think that especially if they don't believe in UFOs and aliens, they think that all these people are just wackos and nutjobs right. that are just peering in from the outside. But a lot of these people are former NASA employees. Right, yeah. People that worked at Jet Propulsion Laboratory and worked for the government. Anyways, so he was writing about this particular lecture that Ben Rich was giving. Um, and he was there with Jan Harzen. Oh, Jan. And this was a lecture from 1993 at UCLA. So the controversial statements that Ben Rich made at that time were, of course, like I said, we now have the technology to take ET home. Right Now, after that, Harzon and some other engineers followed Benrich and pressed him further on this topic. And so he said after that, in response, after asking him more questions, he told one engineer, allegedly, we now know how to travel to the stars. We found an error in the equations, and it won't take a lifetime to do it. Another version of this quote would be, 
First, you have to understand that we will not get to the stars using chemical propulsion. Second, we have to devise a new propulsion technology. What we have to do is find out where Einstein went wrong. Okay, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have it. It sounds like right, and that comes looking from, for it. That comes from the Skeptical Magazine. Now, what's interesting is there is a follow-up here. This comes from Richard Dolan's work. Oh, he's the best. We'll have this linked in the show notes, too. By the way, listeners out there, he's kind of the go-to guy when it comes to the research into breakaway civilization. Secret space program. And the history with the government entanglement in black projects. Right. So these are kind of uh, Ben Richard's scare statements that Richard Dolan presents. And this comes to him by way of uh, a guy by the name of Bill McDonald, who was uh, mutual friends with him and uh, a guy named John Andrews. So according to Andrews, uh, Ben Rich stated that the public must never be told the true reality of what's going on in relation to UFOs and extraterrestrials. The truth, Rich said was too unbelievable, too intense, too powerful, too dramatic, too frustrating. Too frightening. Too frightening. Too, sorry. Too <laughs> frustrating. That's a little different there. <laughs> I know. It kind of ended with a whimper there when I said it. Too yeah. frightening. That's scary. So that's interesting, right? What's a double scare about that to me is that Richard Dolan always- Double scary? Double scary. It's a double, it's a Dolan double scare. Is <laughs> Dolan <that> double scare. <laughs> is, that Rich, is that Richie Dolan, he always background checks people that are coming to him and telling him these stories. So if this guy- Bill McDonald said that he was friends with Ben Rich. Then right. Dolan confirmed that. We're probably being used as like cattle. On oh, some it's very way. possible. We are not at the top of the food chain like we think we are. Right. You mean fed on and... Well, probably a million different things, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, if it translates to any of the other stuff we talk about, it used for energy, the way that we seem to always be stressed out right. purposely, scared purposefully. Right. You know? Some of the old old adrenochrome. Yeah, old adrenochrome. Right? It probably is always like everything else. When it's at these levels, there's a lot of reasons, you know. If there is some sort of clandestine operation that just plucks people off our planet for weird purposes around the galaxy, I wonder what kind of jobs you could get. Like, I mean, probably, you know, slave Space janitor. But like if you're like an enslaved like jester in some like alien court, <laughs> that'd be kind of fun. Maybe you could run a podcast. On like an alien planet. <laughs> like there's an alien planet that really loves belief hole. And like one day they're just going to take us. It kind of like, a, what was that great movie? They're really interested in like Bigfoot. <laughs> like we know aliens are real. It's but like <laughs> Galaxy Quest. What a great movie. I didn't see that movie. Like set up a studio and start broadcasting. We need to know more about the Snellygaster. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah, that, uh, so that does give it more credence to me. I mean, anything that Richard it's Dolan definitely does. definitely a little scary. For sure. But not unsurprising. It's a Dolan double scare. And related to that. You know, it's that, double scary. <laughs> you know, but related to that quote about uh, someone in the know, uh -huh. in the business, working at Skunk Works, giving that quote, I came across a quote from Michael Sala's work, that, and I'll give the name of the book in the show notes and at the end, but this is the quote. The feasibility of anti-gravity aircraft was enthusiastically embraced by executives from major aerospace companies. George S. Trimble, vice president of aviation and advanced propulsion systems for Glenn Martin Aircraft, which was merged in 1995 into Lockheed Martin Company, which is, you know, we just referenced, told the Associated Press in 1955, quote, Unlimited power, freedom from gravitational attraction, and infinitely short travel time are now becoming feasible. That's a pretty bold statement in 1955. Infinitely short travel time. Yeah. What does that mean? That oh, means like extremely short. Well, infinitely short is different than extremely. Infinitely? Well, I guess if you take it literally. Does that in mean that context, it's always progressing smaller? In that context, yeah, literally. Infinitely would shorter would mean it's always getting faster. And by like exponential amounts. Exponential amounts, yeah. So if he's being like scientific there. Right. Right. The and not just being flamboyant with his words right. um well it could reference uh something that dolan talks about too which is the trans uh, atmospheric craft t 
TAC or something like that. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Where they fly in the upper atmosphere. And we have a clip coming up here, John, later that we're going to play that shows these things that are hidden in the night these sky. These are amazing. These are truly, I mean, is V-shaped craft in the night sky. There are all kinds of things. If you can get yourself a pair of uh, they're invisible night to the vision naked goggles eye. or a night vision telescope, you can see a world happening above us. That Yeah, it looks like Futurama. Like with these with these infrared um, or night vision goggles or night vision camera lenses, which by the way I looked into buying one, but it's like eight thousand no, dollars. It's a little anti price range, but uh, you can get for like six hundred bucks. You can get I think a, a decent like singular. You can get a pair of the binoculars for two hundred. I don't know how great nah, they work. Yeah, I don't feel. But great. basically, the idea is you look up in the sky with these um, night vision apparatuses, apparatusi, and there you're right. There's a world of activity of craft that you can't see unless you're wearing those. What? Yeah, it's mind-blowing. Some of these videos are really we could, intense. We could jump to that right now if you want to see it now, How John. is that even... So, this is just going on all the time? That's the idea. There's a guy who has a YouTube channel who documents a lot of this stuff. We, well, we're going to look at the I'd like notes. to see one. We, we could jump to that and then we go back to a couple yeah, more whistleblower sure, stuff. Let's all right, see that. Let's, let's, follow our, let's follow our bliss, huh? Check this follow out. our excitement. Uh, click on... See full show notes in the uh, link there on your podcast app, and it'll take you to our webpage where we'll have this linked in the show notes. This is the triangle. Okay, so this is hidden tech in the night sky is where I have it, John, in the show notes. Two, two links, two blue links. Yeah, I highlighted it in blue. You should see the highlight. There it is. Okay. Now, should I read the part before it before you? Just do what you need to do. Okay, let me do So this is the triangle. And just for a little preface to the triangle, you guys have all heard of this black craft, right? The black triangular craft, the V wings that people see flying, you know, floating silently above the, them. Is that the TR3B? The alleged codename for that Aurora project, right? The right. Dark it's a project. secret project, so the stealth creation that we may have created. A lot of people think they're UFOs. Maybe the Phoenix Lights craft. The Phoenix Lights, right? This black massive craft, uh, triangular shape that can float silently at low altitudes uh, can also zip away at light speeds this this legendary craft you see if you've seen X-Files but this is uh, entrenched in UFO lore I like the one you saw John is it? well maybe yours was triangular in shape wasn't it? yeah okay well after we watch the video we can ask John if it's yeah. anything like what he saw but let's uh, read this bit here John if this is about a man by the name of uh, James Goodall who kind of broke some of this stuff about the black it's before Lazar craft. right? this is before Lazar he was in the same hunting grounds as Lazar he, uh, he was uh, investigating Area 50 region, uh, but before anyone even had heard of Bob Lazar. It was his own conclusion, not later than 1990, that there were at least eight black programs flying out of Groom. Groom Lake, Nevada, where Area 51 was. Not counting the B-2 and not counting the other known classified programs that are known to have come out of there. One of these, he stated, was a silent flying triangle. Again, this is not later than 1990. So this guy, he was a journalist for aerospace and aviation. Right. And really well respected and really deep into the stuff in this area, but he was following a lot of stuff, yeah, coming out of Air 51. explains so many sightings around the world. Right, and so not later than 1990, he's talking about this black, triangular, silent, flying craft that people witness all the time now. Right. So I find that fascinating. And we're going to play a video here that looks like it's pulled right from his initial reportings of this. Goodall asked one of his contacts at Groom Lake, who had been there for 12 years, if he believed in UFOs. The man's answer was, quote, absolutely, positively they exist. Sometime later, the man said, quote, we have things in the Nevada desert that would make George Lucas envious. This is a statement that deserves to be widely known. In around 1995, another of Goodall's sources said, quote, we have the things out there that are literally out of this world, better than Star Trek or anything you could see in the movies. 
This comes from Richard Dolan's book, and we'll have a link to the show notes, but he continues in his book and he describes an interesting statement by an intelligence officer named Harry Howard. Howard's analysis of black triangles is that they are an, an integral part of the secret space fleet. He argues that they absolutely exist. So I've seen it. Tell us if this is what you saw, guys. I this, will. this video will be linked in the show notes under the uh, hidden tech in the night sky, black triangles. That's not how the one that I saw moved. Yeah, yours moved more like a mosquito jumping. And around. they had only had three lights. That one has like five lights. Yeah. One, so two, it is three, a different four, like six lights, I think. That moves. It's definitely moving more like a typical craft would move. But so you take those night vision goggles off and you don't see anything. There's no lights or anything. Right. That doesn't look like any plane that I've ever no. seen. I mean, it could it could be a military plane. But not without lights on. All right, jump to video video two, John. There's another video here. This one's a little weirder. I'm all about the weird in the hole. Ah. That's fun. <laughs> well, that one's weird. Yeah. It almost looks like a like a star or like a. Like, like a, constel fighter like or a constellation. It looks like it's shifting the dimensions on her. Play it one more time. That is bizarre. Very though. bizarre. It really makes me want night vision goggles. Yeah, I guess we don't have to play it again because listeners can't, yeah. can't see it. But Guys, check out these videos. They are really impressive. Um, They're weird. And you can go down a rabbit hole of probably hours of this stuff. The, this, this guy alleges, and I know... Put a link to his page. Or yeah, I will. Yeah, we'll have his videos linked in the show notes. Doesn't Richard, sure. Richard Dolan went on an expedition like this, didn't he? Said he saw tons of stuff? Yeah, that, he actually references this video. That's how I found it. Oh, cool. Richard Dolan linked it. Um, said it's, you know, really pretty difficult to explain. But what's interesting is, yeah, I was looking at the TR-3B, right, which is supposedly an anti-gravity spacecraft. That's the typical triangle. Right. It officially doesn't exist. This comes from military.com, which I thought was interesting. It doesn't exist officially. The TR-3B, anti-gravity spacecraft, it uses highly pressured mercury accelerated by nuclear energy to produce a plasma that creates a field of anti-gravity around the ship. Now that's interesting because I've heard that um, the Vimana, right, mm -hmm. the ancient aircraft of the Hindu? Yeah, from ancient India. Uh, that the Vimana that the gods would fly around in uh, were powered by like a circulating mercury. Right. The same kind of technology, maybe the part of this breakaway civilization. Well, and um, Bob Lazar talked about that, using mercury. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder what, uh, what there is to that. Right, I think he did. I know there's the special element, 113 or whatever, but I thought mercury was involved somehow. It's funny because that could, like, ties in with alchemy, right? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. A lot of interesting stuff. Secret societies, the knowledge they know. Um, anyway, can I finish reading this? Sure. Conventional thrusters located at the tips of the craft allow it to perform all manner of rapid high-speed maneuvers along all three axes. Interestingly, the plasma generated also reduces radar signature significantly, so it'll be almost invisible on radar and remain undetected. This literally means it can go to any country it likes without being detected by air traffic control and air defense systems. Interesting, right? That, yeah. I mean, it reminds me of... Uh, what was it? Uh, like the Battle of Los Angeles. Remember that? Right. During World yeah, War II yeah. or leading up to World War II. Well, you know, it's also, I mean, there's different claimed technologies that would explain these sorts of abilities, like the electrostatic, electromagnetic static or electrically charged static stuff, the bifield brown effect. I really do want to get into that one day because it's fascinating. You can watch videos of people doing this in a laboratory. You build this out on a big craft and you have one at the, the nose and one on the tail yeah. where these two capacitors are charged. You can see how this thing could just float at will. And the only power you need is a little bit of thrust on either side to just change its direction. Right, exactly. But it basically makes it weightless. And there's articles about the recent builds of more recent aircraft the people who are reporting on this, as they do with their experts in aeronautical engineering, and they're they're saying, I don't understand how this craft uh, can get this much lift with the weight right. of, of what it is, and they can't figure out how it's doing that. And one of the arguments is that it's these technologies, and specifically that Byfield Brown stuff. Here's an example of that, supposedly. This is this is posted on military.com, the website where I just read that description of them. That, that kind of looks like what, you what saw? I saw, yeah. 
How bizarre that is, Except it was darker. That's the typical black triangle, right? This has like three points. And each end has like a light in it. Yeah, three points of light with like a center circle. So is this supposed to be like captured footage of... It looks like they're looking through it under a microscope. Yeah, that looks (laughs) Might be some like zoomed in. You go to the beginning of it where they separate right there. That's pretty crazy. Well, guys, we'll have this in the show notes too. But yeah, this comes from military.com. I don't know where they got this video from. Yeah, it's weird. It's also weird coming from military.com. I love how they, they just sort of adjust in the air. Yeah, that's definitely cool. Yeah, if this is real, I mean, it, it backs up the idea that these things can do things that are... Yeah, it looks very anti-gravity. Yeah. Just floaty and mm-hmm. move at will. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, let's get into some witness testimony here. Let's hear from their yes, words. Yes, the witness testimony. All right, so we heard about um, Gary McKinnon, right, talking about he the reason he went to Building 8, hacking up a storm. It, what? I said hacking up a storm. Okay, the, yeah, the reason he was hacking up a on storm... On the computer. You know, thank you. Not in the throat. Not a cold. Okay, so the reason he went to Building 8 at NASA was because of, actually because of the testimony from Donna Hare. She had secret clearance working for a NASA contractor by the name of Philco Ford in the 1970s. She is the one that's come out with the story about her colleague telling her that they, it's standard practice to airbrush photos, photos of craft that shouldn't be there. Right. They don't want the public to know, you know, they being NASA. John, if you want to play this clip. That particular day, I walked into the photo lab in the restricted area, and this was between missions. Uh, One of the gentlemen I had been friends with, and I still talk to occasionally, uh, he pointed his, my attention to one area of this mosaic. It was one panel of a mosaic, which are several, several panels put together to form a larger picture. And these were either, I believe they were satellite pictures. I'm not sure, they were aerial looking down. And I, I said, this is really interesting. He explained everything. And then he, with a smile on his face, he said, look over there. And I looked, and in one of the photo panels, uh, I saw a round white dot. And at the time, it was very crisp, very sharp lines on it. And I said to him, uh, what, what is that? Is that a dot on the emulsion? And then he's grinning, and he says... Uh, dots on the emulsion don't leave round shadows on the ground. And there was a round shadow at the right angle, at the correct angle, the sun shining on the trees. I saw pine trees. I didn't see a coastline. I don't know where this was. But um, I looked at him, and I was pretty startled because I'd worked out there several years and never seen anything like this, never heard of anything like this. And uh, I said, is this a UFO? And he's smiling at me and he says, I can't tell you that. I can't tell you that. What I knew he meant was it was, but he couldn't tell me. Mm. So I said, what are you going to do with this information? And he said, well, we always have to airbrush them out before we sell them to the public. Dicks. And I was just amazed that they had a protocol in place for getting rid of UFO pictures. Anyways, that clip continues, and she has more to her and testimony. And who is she again? She's, uh, she's Donna a contractor. Hare. She was a NASA contractor. She worked for uh, Philco Ford. You guys think we're going to get disclosure in the next couple years? I don't think so. I don't Unless, know. I mean, if, I think it's if there's a, if the people in charge on our planet, if they're pushed by an outside force yeah. to disclose, maybe. A benevolent maybe. alien force. But I don't think they're ever going to do it because there's too much benefit for keeping it secret as far as like resources, just control. Well, there's a really good quote I have coming up here from Dolan about that specific thing. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, but it's just like, obviously, then they can't be, ben- I mean, it's impossible to know. I mean, yeah. the Oh, theories- you mean the extraterrestrials couldn't be benevolent if they didn't, like, force our government to tell well, us? Well, at some point, you'd think that they would, like, 
go beyond the government if their plan was to, you know, connect with the population. If that was their plan. Yeah, that's maybe, what I mean. Yeah. I mean, you think about that's like... That's why it doesn't seem they like might they be would benevolent, be benevolent. But if you look at, like, have you ever, I don't know if you've watched Star Trek much, but like they have the prime <laughs> directive. I think you know that he hasn't watched Star Trek <laughs> The much. prime directive. You know, even if they want to, they can't uh, directly intervene in the affairs of a, of a world unless that world has already developed warp technology. Warp, but and, they've already... Been, we're already being interfered by if they we've gotten technology from them. Well, right. I think the argument would be that they they would might fight on our behalf to keep it neutral, but right. they can't directly come in and help us. They can't decide yeah. disclosure. Right. It's kind of like reminds me of that tribe. There's I don't know, there, there's probably more than one, but probably not many left in the in South America or on different islands that still are unaware of the the majority of civilization around the world. Mm-hmm. And even to this, like there's that cargo cult. Where like they worship, right. they have they build this mm-hmm. idol god of a plane because right. they think it's a god because they've never been introduced. And so we have this sort of prime directive here on Earth. Uh, at least I think most governments are aligned with it, where you don't interrupt a developing primitive culture, culture on our planet and let them know about everything else. If going they're already on. untouched, you yeah. let them go naturally. But again, if their technology has disrupted our world, and you know, to some degree, it may be used against the population. Doesn't there? You'd think at some point there have to be like. A correction. A correction. Yeah. Well, and yeah. again, if you listen to a lot of the whistleblowers, there's probably multiple factions. Yeah. And I think if true. anybody who's intervening, it's more likely those are darker. Like mom forces. and dad are fighting, so and they just don't want us to so know. Much speculation. Right. Mom and yeah, dad are absolutely. fighting, and they don't want us to know that there's anything wrong going on. They're right. Just trying to work it out. They're like, just right. keep growing as yeah. you normally Eat do. Eat your peas. Get big and strong. Mommy and dad are just having a discussion. Unless you listen to Corey Good's side of the story, where parts of the population are being siphoned away at young ages to join secret military projects because they have special empathic and telepathic and ninja assassin telekinetic abilities. That's probably the truth. We'll get into that later. All right, all right, can't wait. All right, let's hear one more clip from another uh, guy who has some legitimate credibility. Play it up. This is Carl Wolf. Um, he was in the Air Force for four and a half years beginning in January 1964. He had top-secret crypto clearance and worked with the Tactical Air Command at Langley Air Force Base in Virginia. And this is all verified. Right. While working at a NSA facility, he was shown photographs taken by the lunar orbiter of the moon that showed detailed artificial structures. These photos were taken prior to the Apollo. I love this guy's testimony. So this is another example. This, t- this Supposedly, these photos were taken before the moon landing in 1969, the alleged moon landing, wink, wink. <laughs> uh, but the resolution is... I think he even says in his in the full clip, we don't play the full clip, we'll have it in the show notes, but he says in his interview that it's beyond the resolution we still have today. About the, yeah. Like wow. It's still higher def. But John, 300K, if you want to go ahead and play this clip here. You know, he told me how everything worked. He showed me the equipment, where the digital information came in, where it was converted to photographic images. They were doing 35 millimeter strips of film at that time, which were then assembled into 18 and a half by 11 inch uh, mosaics, they were called. There was a digital signature and a grayscale on every 35 millimeter strip. And those, those strips were from successive passes around the moon. And they would take and build up a photograph. They would scan one section of the moon, then another and another, and then they would get a larger image. So this mosaic then would be put in that contact printer, and that was then a print that was issued to whomever, the press, the scientist, whatever, wherever that was intended to go. So he was showing me how all this worked, and we walked over to one side of the lab, and he said, by the way, we've discovered a base on the back side of the moon. And I said, I said, whose? <laughs> what do you mean, whose? He said, yes, there's, we've discovered a base on the back side of the moon. And at that point, I became frightened, and I was a little terrified 
thinking to myself that if anybody walks in the room now, I know we're, we're in jeopardy, we're in trouble because he shouldn't be giving me this information. I was fascinated by it, but I also knew that he was overstepping a boundary that he shouldn't be stepping over. And then he pulled out one of these mosaics and showed, showed this base, which had geometric shapes. There were towers, there were uh, spherical uh, buildings. Uh, there were very tall uh, towers and things that looked somewhat like radar dishes, but they were large structures. So I, um, I didn't say any more to him because I was concerned again that somebody was gonna come in at any moment would catch us having this conversation and we would be in, in, in real trouble. I realized that he was telling me this information because he didn't have anybody else to talk to. Now probably in that laboratory, he was probably the, one of the few uh, enlisted people and he was a worker bee. And he had a high level security clearance obviously, but he couldn't share that information with anybody else. And in those days we didn't. When you had your security clearance, you took it seriously. It isn't like today where people don't take these things seriously. We had a different set of morals and ethics and values. That's the way we were raised and we, we stayed bound by those agreements. So it was rare that someone would, would do something like this, but this fellow and I were the same rank. I think he, he was very distressed uh, he, he had the same pallor and demeanor as the scientists outside the room. They were just as concerned as he was. And he needed, to, he needed to discuss it with somebody. So that was the end of it right there. I didn't take it any further than that. It's interesting. So, so he was seeing bases and towers on the backside of the moon? Right, artificial structures that were supposedly taken before we even landed, allegedly landed. Yeah, I remember hearing, he was on the Disclosure Project. I remember his testimony because it was so vivid. Yeah, so he was, yeah, we'll have his testimony linked in the show notes as well. A lot, yeah, a lot of this comes, was brought forth by Stephen Greer and the Disclosure Project. Uh, but we'll have all that in the show notes. Uh, just fascinating stuff. It is. You know? It's very interesting. So why the secrecy, right? Um, this comes from... Uh, this is the million dollar question. Yeah, and this comes... I just liked his kind of synopsis of it. This is the 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 king of secret space study and breakaway civilization, which is Bob... Bob. Richard Dolan. Richard Dolan. John, if you want to begin us off here, this is kind of his summary of why why the secrecy, who's behind this, what uh, what the breakaway civilization really means. I first thought of the concept of a breakaway civilization in technological terms. Imagine the black budget world on steroids, with presumably alien technology tossed in. I have spoken in the past about a conversation I had with a former civilian scientist at NSA, who said to me that circa 1964 or 65, the NSA had a computer running at clock speeds of 650 megahertz. That's very slow today but it was 35 years ahead of the consumer market, which did not reach that speed until 2000. So on that basis, you could say the NSA was 35 years ahead of the rest of the world in computing power. Now add exotic technology that did not come from here. Now classify those technologies so that people cannot access them. And that leads to a breakaway civilization where they have access to technology that is unavailable to anyone else. So this is where he, he shifts it. Like, that's an example of the technology, right? The breakaway civilization of technology. Right. But he, now he's going to shift it to the power structures, the people behind the scenes. But we can't stop with technology. We want to see who's running it, who owns it. As we can see, in all facets of our society, there is a power that stands behind. For in an ever-centralized global system, we must recognize that power is also increasingly centralized but such power is not centered on the office of the President of the United States, although the U.S. President has certainly accrued tremendous executive power over the past 50 years or more. 
But no, the center of gravity of globalization is not in the White House. It is more fruitful to look at the major banks and those private entities that control massive amounts of wealth that stand behind the whole system. It's fair to say that they are the true breakaway civilization. They attend the Bilderberg meetings, the Trilateral Commission meetings, the proceedings of the Council on Foreign Relations, and they participate in the bizarre rights at Bohemian Grove. It's not that these organizations are the club. They themselves are the club. As George Carlin once put it, quote, it's a big club. You ain't in it. You gotta think. Would such people reveal a reality in which there is this incredible technology by us as well as by others? Would they ever do it? Okay, so interestingly, a contact of Dolan's had been on one subcommittee dealing with the, quote, legal implications of disclosure. Now, this is interesting. This is kind of a practical approach of why disclosure might be a bad idea for them. Incidentally, he told me that his subcommittee concluded that, at least from a legal point of view, disclosure promised to be a nightmare. They considered the probable lawsuits that would occur. Start with defense contractors. One defense contractor having access to extraterrestrial technology would constitute unfair trade practices, wouldn't it? Such a seemingly mundane thing, but it was instructive that they were pondering some of these issues. So if you're looking into the practical problems of disclosure, it kind of shows that there's actually things to disclose, but then the, the dangers of that, not just for the culture and people, oh, you know, is God real? The, they always claim that with the Brown Institute study. Oh, right. Right, but the reality is like, what does that mean for government and military and, and defense contractors people when you're saying, have, we've been hiding it all these years? Or yeah. you open up your secret it's clubs to the public? Like thing. that's the whole point is the big club. Why would you give away that power? Right. If you, especially if you do gather in, you know, the, the woods of Bohemian Grove, but we're going to tell you guys about this because yeah. we care. Well, exactly. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Is they we're all about transparency they don't, here. They don't the care. Yeah. They don't. So we are cattle to them in a lot of ways. Free resource. Free resource of delicious. Anyways, it's a good time for a break. Do you want to play? We got a stinger, John. You want to play? Yeah. Um, Trisha. Oh, Trisha. Oh, cool. Long time. Long time supporter yeah, of the show. Yeah, one of the first. And she sent in a speak pipe a while back yeah like last year that's right yeah sorry it took so long to get to synchronicity it. and yeah. we have not done a show on it but we should sometime absolutely because we all have experienced it and it's a strange strange phenomenon yes it is especially when it comes like hard and fast and mm -hmm. i haven't had it in a while but there was a point in the show where we were getting it all the oh time oh my gosh yeah you still have you, i have them they're not they haven't been as frequent uh, or as weird they come and go yeah and for those who don't know synchronicity is kind of unexplainable uh, inexplicable coincidence. A coincidence with meaning. That, that have, yeah, meaning. they have very significant meaning to your life and they happen in ways that just seem like too, almost impossible to just happen over and over again in a day. Right. Just, you know, through a text or an image or song. Oh, wait, we did have a couple for this episode. Remember? What, we were talking about... Um, oh, we did. Uh, in the, Star Trek, we were... I forget why it came up, but we were talking about... Zephyr Cochran. Yeah, first contact in the Star Trek universe was... Zephyrin Cochran, this inventor who invented warp That's drive. That's true. Yeah, Chris was saying, like, we were talking about, like, wouldn't it be cool if uh, once we, or maybe the reason that we were noticed by, you know, the aliens supposedly at the time of Eisenhower was because we were developing nuclear weapons. And we were, no, we were talking about the Wright brothers. Or the Wright brothers. We, you know, heavy, heavier than air flight. We first started it, and supposedly that's when we were tapped. And now Wright Patterson Air Force Base is this big hub of ET tech and stuff. And it kind of has this, this uh, mythology that goes back to like the Wright brothers. And it'd be interesting if, the, you know, extraterrestrials or whatever they are, if, even if they're from the inner earth or wherever they're sharing our airspace. And if the Wright brothers are up there flying around, well, that's when they might have the cue to be like, look, they're going to bump into us up here. Let's, let's introduce ourselves. So and that comes from Star Trek. Zephram yeah. Cochran was the guy who developed the warp drive. And at that point, uh, the Vulcans made first contact with uh, humanity, 
which right. it's sci-fi based, but we were just talking about that. But we couldn't remember the guy's name. And then during the recording of this episode, I was looking at oh, the Paranormal Podcast app that we're going to be on. And uh, the top blog post was, it said something like, are we about to experience our Zephyr and Cochran moment, our Zephyr and Cochran moment with first contact. So weird, you know. Synchronicity. Another right. example would be like if your dad was killed by a black octopus and you happened to order coffee for breakfast and it was made by the Black Octopus Coffee Company. That's, that's another synchronicity. Great example. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's Anyways, just play that stinger. <laughs> Anyways, Trisha, we hope you like this. Hey, guys. It's Trisha. So I wanted to tell you about this synchronicity that I had once that was really weird. Really weird. Really weird. <laughs> I usually get synchronicities through music, whether nice. it's that I hear things in public that are in sync with something that I'm going through. What I'm going through. Something on my iPod will play on shuffle right when I want to hear it. So I was in my car driving to the post office in Uniontown. And all of a sudden, the Billy Joel song from the Bosom Buddies show, <laughs> My Life, popped in my head. And I started singing in the car. I get to the post office and I go inside. In the back, it was, it was playing. And I was just like, okay, that's really, really weird. That is weird. Wow. <laughs> okay. Synchronicity. <laughs> Synchronicity theme song. Beautiful, John. Great. Thank you. Synchronicity song, all, all for Trisha. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, that was interesting. So was your line there, uh, uh, life's little, little memos symbols to me? Life's sending memos. Little signals sending memos to me. I like that. I like that line. Thanks. That's great. Beautiful. But that's a weird synchronicity that Trisha had. Yeah. yeah. Is this the kind of thing that happens? Something pops yeah. in your head and then you right. see it right after. Yeah. Or, or you, you hear it. Like the Whitley Strieber thing. Oh, know? right. Just like something pops in your head that's just like not you don't know why it does and then it, it manifests it plays your, out in your in, in your, your physical reality, reality. Yeah. and I, I think a lot of people have this idea and i remember talking to trish about this uh, online but she was saying how she feels it's more of a you know the direction of like you're on the right path right. which we've talked about before yeah there's definitely an emotion that comes with it yeah. when something really big happens and you're like whoa and then it gets exciting. Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting. I've made this analogy before, but I always, it, sometimes it seems to me like when you have these experiences or when you have dreams that are premonition-esque in nature, the idea that like, or we live, let's say you're floating in water, right? And your head's just above the water and that's how regular day life is. And then once in a while a wave comes and above you and below you is your, the past and the present. When that wave hits you in the face, you might get a really vivid moment of the past or you might get lifted up and then you get a glimpse into the future but like time is like this membrane that you, we just float in and it's not a sturdy straight thing it's just it's a gel yeah. a jelly mm. you know and maybe synchronicity is a glimpse into that moment in the future or you know maybe a premonition is you're not really predicting the future as much as you you saw it because you were lifted by that wave for a moment that crest imagine if we lived in a culture that like really embraced this stuff and right? and sought it out we'd like, probably further ahead technologically oh, way further because like, we'd be looking it would at the be right different things. type technology it'd too be a spiritual sort of yeah, technology it would be more consciousness based mm -hmm. and probably much more in harmony with nature atlantean yeah, yeah. you have mushrooms for breakfast psychoactive <laughs> substances psychedelic mushrooms oh, are yeah. part of like your daily life right Microdose. Let's trip this morning. <laughs> yeah, All right, well, we'll right. be back in a few minutes. Yes. Maybe not that long. Shorter for you. Shorter for you. Goodbye. See ya. 
gleeful expansion episode preview. All right, so let's get an overview of Corey's galactic allegations, Chris. Let's do. How about that? Yeah. But keep an open mind. We're not here to poop on him. Well, hopefully not. I mean, I, I do think that if this is a deception, which I don't know, the reason I think people are so drawn to it is because there's truth in it. Mm-hmm. So exactly. If we present it, you know, there's going to be elements that probably resonate with you that you're like, I feel like that could be possible. So. Right. Well, and like you mentioned off air, John, you know, like if what he's saying, if a lot of it is garbage and he is just sort of creating a fantasy, the fact that there's so much UFO lore that's been there where there's paper trails to it that's tied into the fantasy, that's that's what sells, you know, because mm-hmm. there's notes of truth that Jeremy would say. Not that this, I mean, again, we'll go through this and you guys can make your, your own mind, but that's one of the things that kind of seemed apparent to me. Um, for now, let's begin the overview of Corey's galactic allegations. Corey Good claims to have been directly involved with and or has been briefed about five secret space programs. He says he was trained as a, quote, intuitive empath and completed a 20-year tour of duty from 1987 to 2007 in several of these programs, including one called Solar Warden. Good claims that in the course of his duty, he came into direct contact with different extraterrestrial groups and alliances that interacted with one or more of the space programs. He says that he served on teams with three intuitive empaths used to detect deception during negotiations between different space programs and or with extraterrestrial visitors. We're not finished here. Hello, we're back. We are back and better than ever. Oh, yes, we are. Uh, what is that? Oh, I'm just getting pumped for it's the aggressive. I don't like for the third chapter of the I don't episode. Like here. aggressive. Well, it's a very short chapter. Oh, we're just going to touch a little bit on Corey's claims, right? Right. Excited. So you've looked a little bit into this Corey. Well, there's character, so right? many. I mean, Corey, good. There's so much information because you know he's done that TV show with. Um, uh, did you? We we did go through the whole. Did you explain him well enough? Do you think? I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to know because we I talked about the, him a I know, lot before and we've been kind of uh, pushing this episode back and back so let's give a little background I think people have probably gleaned that he he's a controversial figure in the ufological community right now yeah so Corey Good kind of emerged around the end of the first decade of uh, the 2000s right I think it was like 2008-ish you're going to say like um, the Pliocene era <laughs> so he he's a guy he's controversial because he he has a story that there's been a few other people that have had the same sort of uh, alleged experience of basically getting involved in a military project that takes you off world, right? There's other- My lab. My lab, exactly. My lab experiences where Corey's experience gets a little more controversial is because the, the amount of information that he supposedly has, that he's still getting from these different entities, different races, and his sort of level of importance in these stories are what makes people a little unsure about. Well, even just the story itself is right. controversial. For I sure. mean, the fact that you're you're saying that you're being abducted by this top secret military program and age regressed and right. all these. Yeah, that's one of the the the. He said he served for sixty years, didn't he? Three tours of twenty years each. So, and he's in his early late forties. He was born in. Uh, let's see. He, I think I have a graph. That's kind of what his I time experience. It's so he's late 40s, probably. I think, so. yeah, I think he's early 40s. Oh, really? Yeah. Are he you was, sure? 
Yeah. I thought, because he said that he was in, he was like a 17 in 1980. 85. Yeah. You know, he's six in 85, I think. Are you sure? Because that's what I heard today when I was listening. Well, I'll, I'll look into that more for the, the expansion, but. I mean, I personally, I always liked him just because I liked the story and I wanted it to be real. Well, you know, when I heard uh, his experience of describing Mars and like being involved in military efforts on Mars, mm-hmm. I'd heard it on, I forget what show. Coast to Coast? Year, years and years, it might have been Coast to Coast. Uh, but he's years and years ago. And that story itself, uh, I thought was fascinating. It's, I think what turned me off to him was it kept going and the stories would get more outrageous, more crazy. And his sort of role in these stories seemed to get so large, you know, and that was all audio. Once I was watching him tell these stories, that's when I started to get a little suspicious too, but I don't want to get all into that right now. I just want to kind of give you the idea of, of some of his claims. Okay. Um, lay it on us. So at age six, he was identified as an intuitive empathic child by these black operations um, with precognitive abilities. And these are allegedly, according to Corey, very sought after skills by secret societies. Makes sense. Why wouldn't you want an empath on your team, you know? So he was discovered at age six. Right. By these secret groups. Right. And I guess this was going on during school. Like he'd be taken out of school and uh, either his parents didn't know or they, uh, the rinds were wiped or something. Not super clear on that, but uh, he underwent special training once they realized he, once he like evolved to the next program, they, he went through all this, these testing periods of his empathic abilities. And then he started to get into training to really beef up these skills that he had to read people, even some precognitive abilities, allegedly. Hmm. Uh, but some of the, some of the things are, are very interesting and definitely sound fantastical. Like I love it. His avian bird people, the blue avians was that? Yeah. That's down way later like, on. Yeah, I'm getting career. ahead of it. Okay. Getting way out of it. Um, but he's, so he's training there's, there's other kids there that are training. They have telekinetic abilities where they, uh, are trained cause you know, telekinesis for those that don't know. Sorry. Is that Jenny McCarthy? Yeah. He was on Jenny McCarthy podcast. Wow. With David Wilcock. Yeah. What are they doing with that? That is the pose. dumbest pose I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> show me that in the show notes. <laughs> um, sorry. We just came across randomly a picture of Corey Good on he the has a Jenny Jerry McCarthy curl. show. He has a Jerry curl mullet and that's awesome. That is a strange picture. Yeah, well, let's put this picture in the show notes. Look at what is Steve Wilcock doing? It looks like he just landed from the sky. <laughs> oh, see his eyes there, Corey's eyes. There's just something about his eyes that yeah, just they, sketchy. They just plead, believe me. Maybe that was the 60 years in the yeah. He has 90 year old eyes. Yeah. Oh yeah, you didn't explain. So the for those that don't know, the age regression is that he he you said he's supposedly done three three consecutive tours of 20 years each in it's this called, program. It's called the 20 and back uh, program. And so that you, you serve 20 years and then they, they age regress you back to where you were when right. you left. And there, there's been other, quote, Mars whistleblowers that have talked about this 20 and back thing. Really? I think, I think that precede him. They were before his story. Probably, look, before we get too further, I don't know, this may spoil it a little bit, but like, wouldn't they like not let you talk about this stuff? Well, that's the thing. Like each one of these whistleblowers have, uh, well, they have an explanation. For, for example, Corey's explanation is, uh, there's an alliance that wants him to start revealing oh, okay. this. So that's his thing. The you. other, uh, there's another whistleblower. We'll get more into that in, in the next expansion. Um, but they just say basically like they're just letting them do it for mm. whatever reason, which to me sounds like misinformation if, you know, if it did in fact happen. And there are arguments to be made that maybe some are more believable than others. We'll get into that again. I feel like I'm saying a lot. Okay, that, so this is all coming up in the expansion. Which right. Yeah, this okay. is, we are getting kind of off the, the yeah, trail I just wanted to get into, his, into some of his claims. Okay. Here. Yeah, I think we've kind of gave a little bit of a backstory, so you can probably get to the claims now. Well, that's the. I mean, these are part. Of, his backstory okay. is part of the claims. Okay. Um, okay. Keep jumping ahead. 
so then he's taken that program, right? At age 17, he gets taken into the secret military program. This is after he's been trained to beef up those skills that he has. He's like an empath. Worked alongside with kids who were more uh, telekinetically prone, so they could move things with their mind. Hmm. And these kids is interesting. Spoonbender. Spoonbenders. A carry. Carry. That's pyrotelekinetics, I think. But same idea. She could move stuff too, right? Pr- yes. Enough. Maybe. Did she move a knife? Oh, okay, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> she wasn't real. <laughs> okay. She was not real. <laughs> <I know>. uh, <laughs> anyway, so he's working with these, alongside these these kids who are more telekinetically prone. Their missions are much more devious because they're taught to basically become telekinetic wizard assassins mm. where they can remote view to find their targets and then kill them with their mind. Ugh, like evil Harry Potter. Sure. Tel- telepathic ability. That sounds right. That sounds like a good analogy. And they, they, one of the technological things that Corey describes are these pads that these kids stand on, and they allow them to increase their telekinetic, um, I guess, abilities. Telekinetic amplifiers. That's the good way to put it. You should write them and tell them to call it that instead of what pads. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, all, all interesting stuff. Uh, interesting is a word, yes. Interesting stuff. The age regression, again, according to Corey, this age regression technology came from this Nordic race, right? And this Nordic race is, uh, they're the, some of the good guys in this never-ending battle of good and evil that you hear about, you know, all the time. And um, the, um, so on the bad side are the Draculians, and they are in partnership with the uh, leftover breakaway Nazi civilization. Hmm. So maybe we're part of the Nordic. Uh, that's allegedly, you know, the, there's an Earth group that's on the side. That's of, why we get so many synchronicities. Or like us specifically? Yeah. Or we're taking away, and we're not known that maybe at night we're taking away and whisked to No, we're, we're through the show, we're spreading information. Oh. Is this the I idea? I don't know if I would give us claims Wait, that high. Is there a suggestion because they're the... I have a fucking chip in my ear. <laughs> <laughs> is there a suggestion here that uh, the, what are they called again? The the Nord, Nordics, right? Are they, no. now are they called it because they look Norwegian, Nordic, mm-hmm. like blonde hair, blue eyes? Yeah. But is there a suggestion somewhere that like genetically the Nordic people or the... The people oh, that look like that are from that area. Maybe I'm not sure. Like, that's a whole. There's an Asian race. That goes race. into like ancient exopolitics and stuff. I don't know. Okay. Which I'm sure because he does get into the Mayans, right? Yes. The Mayans. Come doesn't up? he argue that the original breakaway civilization were when the Mayans flew away in their stone spacecraft? Yes, they were one of the ancient breakaway civilizations in their Mayan spaceships. What I love is the depiction. I don't know if we have it here. We'll have maybe we'll have this in the expansion. Yeah, but there's a depiction of them. They're Mayans and they they look, you know, they're wearing very simple tunics, right? But they're somehow look also like kind of like fantasy futuristic magical. And there's, there's like a levitating stone that they're like inscribing with like blue sci-fi phasers or something. Yeah. It just basically looks like they took the Mayan civilization and just souped up the right. sci-fi Futurized fantasy aspect. It? Yeah. But maybe. But maybe. Maybe, baby. Maybe, baby. Um, maybe it's real. And this, okay, so this this one claim that he has, uh, you know, he was uh, in the service on Mars and I, this is what I remember him describing on a radio show, Coast to Coast or something, a long time ago. This might be something that sounds familiar to you guys. He said um, uh, basically that he saw short, hardy cactus-like shrubs on Mars. Uh, they were colored with purple and red with thick stalks below. There are also small burrowing animals, according to Corey, and an indigenous race of humans with reddish skin. They wear robes. And they are very skittish around humans. One of these beings, according to Corey, was interrogated and claimed that he that his race was indigenous to Mars and originated there. Hmm. Hmm. So maybe are they? They're three dimensional. 
from the third dimension. Like, yeah. like, like they're three-dimensional, like not <laughs> flat. They're not, they're not on paper. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Like yeah, they, they're, they're just they're live on in this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're oh, not interdimensional. Yeah, they're they're in our dimension. Anyway, some other claims that Corey has that are pretty awesome. Um, insect, there's an insectoid race. We're going to get into the expansion a little bit. His experience with those guys, but those guys, much like our insects on our planet, how they've some insects have developed camouflage over you know periods of evolution. The insectoids that have been allowed to evolve on their own planets have turned that camouflage into psychic camouflage where they can uh, camouflage. They can make you think that they are a CEO of, you know, um, Tesla or AT&T, you know? So, Oh, so is that where that, some of that comes from when, so, so (laughs) remember they talked about the latest episode about how like all the CEOs were, were stepping down before Corona and I suggested they were ant people and you laughed at me (laughs) and now (laughs) you're saying they could easily be insects. Well, there's a story coming up in the expansion about Corey helping interrogate, uh, or get the intentions behind interrogation behind a CEO of a major, uh, corporation in the States, but he was really an ant person. See? Yeah, that wasn't such a crazy cool. thing. But yeah, some of the things we'll get into this. There's really interesting, really fascinating stories, and we'll you know you take from it what you want. But some of the stuff in there that I think makes people go, hmm, is that you know he he is this sort of important person. He's the delegate for humankind uh, to the, the ambassador blue, to the blue right? avian bird people, and also to he's also an ambassador. He's just really good at being an ambassador um, to an inner earth community of time travelers known as the Anshar. And that's kind of who he's really working with a lot today. Them, him, and them, and the Blue Avian Bird people. And It'd be interesting to get him on the show. It would, would be interesting. On. But yeah, we're, we'll get more into that in the expansion. I mean, again, but there's this is the whole thing is there's no proof. It's just all story, right? The, but it's a fun story. The circumstantial evidence is that a lot of his stuff lines up with uh, more, I would say, dependable testimony from other corroboration. Corroboration, but there is the argument that. As we're going to get into, there might be reasons why Corey has the same story. They might be a little more suspect. So, we're, yeah, that's what I'm kind of interested too. Is Keep an open mind. Judge for yourself. Yeah. And I don't want to throw shade, as the kids say, on Corey Good. But I do think it is interesting. Like, we never talk about the inside workings of, like, the, the fringe the communities yeah. and the icons. Like, it's kind of interesting to think about, like, you know, get into some of the fun controversy and the, is Corey good right. or bad? That's the whole kind of point of the episode. Yeah, and, and for, for and we'll be fair. We're not going to just right. like poop on them because they're ridiculous topics. Yeah. Obviously, we cover ridiculous topics. I mean, topics. obviously, yeah, we've gone. I mean, a lot of what he talks about, I don't think is impossible. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Oh, and, you know, we talked about anybody's non-expansion member or if you're an expansion uh, member to the show and you didn't hear it last episode expansion, um, we were going to do Corey good then, but we ended up doing a whole episode on Stargates. Right. So it, that just took up so much good time there that now we're going to do the Corey Good or Bad finally. Yeah. So get in your upright positions for so, this So, yeah, if you want to hear this, definitely head over to... Believeful.com and click on the Patreon button. And uh, we do double the episodes. Mm-hmm. Get in it. We and thank uh, everyone who is supporting us there. But don't you have another singer? Yeah. This is, uh, this is a classic. Special treat. This is a friend treat from our good friend Nick Benson. All right. And we are welcoming him into the hole because he's been our friend since we were little children. Yeah, the pseudo big brother. And so stoked that he likes listening to us. I'm glad that we get to keep him company. He probably still feels like he's in our lives a little bit. I wish he had a show that we could listen to. (laughs) I think about that with all my friends who listen. I wish we we could get to hear him. We only get to speak at our friends. We don't get to hear them speak back. You can always pick up the phone, Jeremy. That's true. (laughs) I'm not good at that. But Nick, this song is for you. It is a mix of some quotes that we used to watch from the movie Congo. Yes! Oh, with Tim Curry? Yeah. The Gorillas. The diamonds are here! Fuck. Nick Benson. (laughs) 
here. What is this? The myth of the killer ape is true. Then city of then city of then city of you'll get nothing and I get then city of then city of then city of then the cybot wins. <laughs> That's great, great, man. It's like I was in the Congo with Tim Curry. The diamonds. We also named his car, his, uh, I think it was a Buick. We called it Zinge. That's awesome. This long <laughs> That's awesome. boat of a car. We had a lot of good times in there. Great. What's that? That's going to be a sweet, like, electronic artist name. Zinge. Zinge. Yeah. If you guys haven't seen the movie Congo, check it out. I feel like we, that was one of our first movie references, was Congo. So. Amy, ugly woman. <laughs> Me, Amy. <laughs> Anyway, that's our show. That's our yeah, show. Uh, but yeah, thanks, Nick. Thanks for signing up. That just reminded me of watching you guys dance and we lived in Austin together. Yeah, we were roommates for a while down there and we'd always dance to techno music together. Those were the times. And we'd go to the Spider House. Anyway. Anyway, uh, what do you guys think? Black Budget? And this is definitely one we're going to, you know, we've talked about episodes before, like one we'll retouch on. This one, there's so many interests, like when it comes to, you know, you've got the Viral Society, you've got the Byfield Brown effect. You've got all these different aspects. We can German go research Nazis in Antarctica. Yeah, we could ju- we could just go into you know different aspects of this and spend a, you know a few episodes doing it. And this is one I definitely would do want to go back to because there's so much in here and there's so much good research from Dolan and some interesting circumstantial evidence from Sal's work that he kind of he's really good at weaving together testimony to create sort of a narrative that may, might be a little more thinner when it comes to hard evidence, unlike Dolan. But he does weave sort of a chronology. He does which a lot is of research. He does. He definitely does circumstantial, but it's really def- good research. Definitely paints an interesting picture based on history and time. Yeah. So thanks, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks again to our patrons. You guys really do keep us going. If you're not a patron yet, you can sign up and get double the episodes, like you said, John. And, and if you can't swing it financially right now, we do uh, really appreciate reviews. You know, Facebook, mm-hmm. iTunes, all Shares, those places. Stitcher. Anything you can do to spread the whole. Oh yeah, show it to your friends right. and let us know you did, and that really that helps us and makes us feel happy in our hearts. So, um, thanks, guys, and uh, we will catch you next episode on the Believable. Believable.